Hey, everyone. No, I'm not hyper-local celebrity podcast host Gavin Jackson. It's me, humble producer A.T. Shire. Okay, okay, that's quite enough. Calm down. Now, I'm here to tell you that you, you're in luck. Because this past Thursday, April 13th, we recorded an extra special live show at Kite Hill Brewing in Clemson, South Carolina. I know, I know. Impressive stuff. Our intrepid host, Gavin Jackson, had state news reporter and friend of the pod, Mayan Schechter, on to talk 2024, State House, and more. So, without further ado, take it away, Gavin. Hello and welcome from Kite Hill Brewing Company. How are we doing, Clemson, South Carolina? What a crowd out here. It's a rowdy crowd for our first live taping of 2023, and we appreciate everyone turning out. And of course, our friend of the pod, Mayan Schechter, is here with us too, all the way from Columbia. Thank you, Mayan. It's so good to be here. She is the politics editor at the state newspaper. Um, again, great time to be out here taping. We have so much news this week that we're going to catch up on to. Before we talk about the state house, though, let's talk about what's going on the campaign trail in 2024, which of course runs right through South Carolina. You have to be living under a rock not to think that it comes through South Carolina, but uh, so much is going on too, especially this week with Senator Tim Scott announcing his presidential exploratory committee. Um, he hasn't formally declared that he's running for president yet, not like Nikki Haley, but we're getting closer one step away from that announcement. So Maya, when we talk about that, we talk about 2024 and all the folks coming through, we're gonna have Florida Governor Ron DeSantis coming through next week too. We've had Mike Pence coming through. Uh, where does this put Tim Scott in the whole grand scheme of things when it comes to what he's done, what the polling's looking like, how he stacks up against our other homegrown candidate, Nikki Haley? Sure. So let's start with his appeal. Tim Scott really sees himself as an alternative uh, choice in the 2024 field. He sees himself as a positive candidate, optimistic. Um, he's not really a, a flamethrower like yeah. we've seen maybe of some other candidates out there. Um, he, he's he's pretty calm. He doesn't kind of, uh, you know, just tweet things yeah, that's what all he's, the time. that good guy candidate right, vibe. It's right, like right. pretty easy to do in a very feisty field right, right. now. Right. Um, he has a lot of popularity here in South Carolina. Um, a new Winthrop poll uh, came out, and in that Winthrop poll, he had a 47 approval rating in South Carolina, mm -hmm. um, and that's out of all South Carolinians, and then he had a 25% disapproval rating. Uh, but among Republicans, it's very high at 69%, which a lot of Republicans in South Carolina never hit yeah. 69%. Especially his counterpart, Lindsey Graham. Right. <laughs> so, people have issues with him. Right. So obviously it's incredibly early and it would be uh, super wrong to think that, you know, these numbers are, are not going to go up at all. But um, the latest Quinniac poll, uh, state, or excuse me, nationwide put him at 1%. Mm -hmm. um, the latest Winthrop poll, I believe, had him at 7% trailing Trump and Ron DeSantis and, and Nikki Haley. Uh, but he certainly has, I think, a lot of time to obviously get that name ID up. He's visiting early voting states like mm -hmm. Iowa, New Hampshire, and again, it's it's so early. Yeah. Um, but that gives him plenty of time to talk about his legislative accomplishments. He's talked a lot about opportunity zones. That mm -hmm. That is something that I believe he calls his signature legislative accomplishment on his Pretty website. Mm -hmm. So he, he's got a lot of time to to build on his popularity here in South Carolina. And so it'll be interesting to see whether it translates to New Hampshire or Iowa. Yeah, I was going to say, it's it's pretty interesting because when I was on the campaign trail right after Nikki Haley announced, I was in New Hampshire and Iowa. And 
you know, he was also in Iowa like in the last day or two when she was up there. And having heard her do her stump speech five times in a row, you know, we're getting to that point now where we're going to be listening to those stump speeches. We can recite them. And then to hear him kind of give a, give a very similar speech, I was like, I don't see much light between these two, even when it comes to policy issues, but especially like even personal narrative issues, you know, with how she came into power and then, of course, appointing him as senator. I mean, like, there's a lot that they are using when it comes to selling themselves to voters out there. So it's going to be interesting to see how they differentiate in a very, what could be a crowded field. Yeah, and also whether they take shots at each other. I mm -hmm. mean, that's what we all kind of look for on a debate stage, right? Whether somebody actually goes after someone. And so uh, my, my question is, does Nikki Haley go after Tim Scott? Does Tim Scott go after Nikki Haley? Or is everything very kumbaya on the debate stage? No. Dance with the one that you brought to the dance. <laughs> now he is. But the former governor raised $11 million in our most recent fundraising um, report. We're going to get the full details on April 15th. But that was $11 million over six weeks, according to her campaign. And she had a, a solid showing. A lot of people will support that. Over 25 events, she has about $7.8 million on hand. Uh, but Axios, the news outlet, obtained a memo, a memo from her campaign in which she was taking digs at Trump, and she's also taking digs at Ron DeSantis. Um, you know, obviously DeSantis hasn't jumped in the race yet, but it's heating up over there. So it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out, especially when DeSantis comes to town next week. I mean, she said to him, he uh, has made one misstep after another, confirming what many observers have long suspected, that he's not ready for prime time. So really directing that rhetoric that's kind of been aimed at her before over the past years to him and trying to, you know, sow some discord. So what should we be looking for when he comes to town in Spartanburg next week? Yeah, and that latest Winthrop poll that I was mentioning earlier put them almost at a tie here in South Carolina. Mm. So the race here in South Carolina, I mean, it's really going to be between both of them. Um, number one, we have to see who shows up to his event in the upstate. We know he's got a couple of uh, backers in the state Senate. Uh, Josh Kimbrell, um, also uh, Danny Verdon, mm -hmm. um, but we don't really know who who else quite quite yet. He yeah. did get a big get today with Bill Stern, who had endorsed Trump twice in 2016 and 2020, was his state financial uh, guru kind of yeah, guy here, generally. and now he is on the DeSantis pack um, as a senior advisor. That's a that's a huge get for DeSantis. So number one, who shows up to this event? Um, my understanding is that it's supposed to be expected to be a packed house. So that's very good. Um, the the second is whether he connects with voters or whether this seems kind of like a hey, how are you? Nice to meet you. And I'm I'm back in Florida. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, you know Iowa has this uh, stereotype when you're running for president, you got to shake everybody's hand at every 99 single house. counties. Right. They have 99 counties in Iowa. I'm like, just make it two. I mean, <laughs> that's <laughs> South Carolina. They say the same thing about South Carolina. Right. Probably. And so it'll be interesting to see whether he can connect with voters or whether it feels you know like he's more of a Florida governor than a yeah. president presidential candidate. Um, but, you know, again, it's early. He's got a lot of ground yeah. to cover. It's a great opportunity for voters to get first impressions of him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, again, it's going to be hard when there are two homegrown candidates floating around and you're trying to trying to lock down South Carolina. So it's going to be a lot of battles probably fought in Iowa and New Hampshire uh, with, you know, assumptions that obviously Trump, you know, he's leading those polls still. So it's like they're all fighting for second and whatever that means after South Carolina into Super Tuesday in 2024. Um, so many flashbacks, but let's let's put 2024 aside because it's a little traumatic already to think about and talk about the state house where we have about a month left. That's not traumatic at all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a different kind of trauma. But we're talking about what's going on in the state house. We have about a month left in session of the first year, the two-year session, and the big news this week was also the passage of the bond reform bill. 
That was a bill that was house, that was approved in the House H thirty five thirty two, which passed unanimously in the Senate. Unanimously in the Senate after it was amendment amended. A lot of words here. So, what changes were made to that bill versus the House version, and how do we see this shaking out? It seems like it will make it to the governor's desk uh, before signing day. Oh, I think so. Uh, the governor hasn't used his bully pulpit for a whole lot this this session. It's been we've been kind of talking about it, just a little slow in terms of actually signing bills into law. There's a small handful, but the governor has used his bully pulpit for this bond reform bill. He mm -hmm. really wants to end the so-called catch and release system that we have where violent offenders are on uh, bond outside of prison and then they can recommit or commit um, uh, very violent crimes. And so the bill that the House passed added, uh, if I'm remembering this correctly, a mandatory five years kind mm -hmm. of minimum onto someone who's out on bail for a violent crime and then commits a violent, another violent crime. And there's some other measures too in there um, having to do with cash bail. Uh, the Senate looked at it um, and like the Senate does, uh, they amended the legislation, mm -hmm. uh, creating more of a, of a tiered system rather than just having a strictly mandatory five years, especially for, for gun felonies. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this bill, as you mentioned, I mean, this bill has been pushed by law enforcement, um, they've been really uh, lobbying the legislature to crack down on repeat offenders. And so, yeah, I mean, given the fact that the Senate passed this bill, I, I would expect the House to probably concur to agree with the Senate changes, mm -hmm. uh, given that we only have, what, four more weeks of the legislative yeah. session. So it definitely seems like this is probably a bill that is gonna go to the governor's desk sooner, much more sooner rather than later. And I was talking to Sled Chief Mark Heal today for an interview for this week in South Carolina, and he's very optimistic. Obviously, they had a press conference with the governor this week um, talking about the bond reform bill, talking about some of their common sense, common sense gun reform measures in the state, uh, especially in light of the shooting at Isle Palms over the weekend. And you know that reminded me of the, the shooting a year ago at the Columbiana Mall in, in Columbia, which was just as big of a mass shooting event, too. So it's, it's fascinating to see a lot of similarities playing out and folks wanting to make some moves, but again, nothing has happened since that shooting and <laughs> the shooting since, so hopefully uh, before the end of the session. But when we talk about penalty enhancements too, we're talking about adding more time or revoking bond or doing something on top of something that's already been charged, these folks have been charged with. But when it comes to hate crimes, not so much the case, right? Because that's also a penalty enhancement bill that has been approved by the House, bipartisan approval in the House, and it's also gone through the Senate uh, Judiciary Committee, it's on the Senate calendar now, and it's been blocked by three Republicans, which you can do in the Senate. You can block any one senator, can block any bill for any certain amount of reason. Uh, but right now, three Republicans are blocking that bill, which if you're tough on crime, you would think, why wouldn't you want to just add more penalties to someone who commits a crime? And they can prove that was based on hate. So do we know where that bill's going, or is there something we're going to see next session? We're in this phase of the legislative session, which is always the most... It's like a pressure mind, cooker. Yeah, <laughs> mind-numbing sometimes, because both chambers, now that we've bypassed the crossover deadline, mm -hmm. both chambers are kind of playing this back and forth game. You know, are you going to pass my bill? Then maybe I'll pass your bill. And so that's going to happen for the next four weeks and probably into next year as well, since this is the first of a two-year session. I mean, as it stands right now, I don't see how this bill moves. I think mm -hmm. the people who had issues with it last year after it passed the House you know, in a bipartisan fashion, yeah. I'm not unanimously, but bipartisan fashion, I think the same people are going to have the same issues with it this year, which is that they feel like it infringes on free speech, 
Um, and, you know, there is some criticism of the bill altogether. It, it really only targets violent crime. It doesn't target... Vandalism really, right, or something right. like that. Um, and so, so I, think, I think on both sides of the aisle, there's some issues with it. But for the most part, the symbolic gesture of it, I think there is a great push. And we've even seen some Republicans, um, and I know we'll talk about Senator Tom Davis, we've seen Republicans... Uh, really try to lobby to get this bill across the finish line. But, I mean, as it stands right now, unless these senators who are holding up the bill get maybe something they want, I, I just, mm-hmm. I don't see it passing this year. Which is, yeah, I mean, which is not too unexpected because we also are seeing the same thing going on with Senator Tom Davis's medical marijuana bill, which we were expecting, he was talking about getting that right out of the gate at the beginning of this session because it, uh, it passed the Senate last year. It's a pretty similar bill, but it got stuck in the, the House on a technicality pretty much. I mean, they were about to have a big debate on that bill, but it, uh, it got thrown out. So they, they changed it around, and you thought that bill was going to move this year. And then all of a sudden, you know, Republican infighting in the, in the Senate kind of sabotaged that bill too. So there's a lot of that going on right now in the final weeks. Uh, so that bill is pretty much, pretty much done for this session, as, as far as we can tell, as far as we can tell. Unless something, I mean... You, we've both covered the legislature never long never. enough <laughs> where we've seen some crazy things occur. But, I mean, as it stands right now, I don't know what else Senator Davis could do yeah. to get this bill passed. I, he has year after year after year. I, mean, I think maybe this is the eighth or ninth when year. When I was working at the Florence Morning News, he had a field hearing in Florence with Jenny Horn, Representative Jenny Horn, oh, wow. who ran against Mark Stanford. I mean, like way far back. So, I mean... They've been working on this, working on this, and then to, you know, to say that it's not fully vetted yet, it's right, right. It did. Say. It didn't go through the typical, I guess, traditional committee process, right? That's um in the it, Senate. I that's, mean, it's um, moved through it enough to the point where they're like, okay, we've already right. done this, and then some people objected to it, saying it hadn't been vetted enough. Right. But it's like we have done this. Enough. Yeah, so. I, I don't. I don't know what else he could he could possibly mm-hmm. do. I mean, I'm sure there's some like maybe maybe minor provision he can come back next year and tweak. But again. Because it's the first year of a two-year session, mm-hmm. no, none of the bills die. Yeah. They can come back up next year. So uh, I'm sure Senator Davis is going to work really, really hard to push his bill and possibly work really, really hard to see maybe other bills not get through if he can't get his uh, through once more. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's if you've listened to the podcast, you heard some of our clips from that debate, so it's pretty, it's pretty uh, passionate there. But speaking of infighting, let's pivot to the House, where the House Freedom Caucus was really the big... Uh, I don't want to say issue, but the big, I don't want to say star either. I don't know what word I'm looking for. The big <laughs> the focal point yeah. of this session so far is just, um, you know, how much clout that the House Freedom Caucus, which is a select group of about maybe 14 to 16 far-right House members. It's more like 18, it's, but it's a yeah. squishy 18. So mm-hmm. maybe more like a 16. And we've seen deliberations every week when it comes to bills like the, you know, Women's Hunting and Fishing Day right. to... Um, you know, getting into big debates over the House budget, which is which hasn't been as typical in the case because usually in the budget, it's, everything's already kind of worked out. They're just approving things. So mm-hmm. it's been a very fascinating session so far. But um, do they have anything to show for this besides all this talk? Are they getting things done? So I think first you have to... It really depends on, on where you land, whether you are in the Freedom Caucus or whether you're in the traditional House GOP caucus. And then you kind of also need to define what is success. So if you are in the House GOP caucus, which is the traditional caucus in the House made up of all Republicans, they will say, we've been completely successful. They, they have not been. We've been passing legislation, bill after bill after bill. Mm-hmm. We have way more members than they do. 
Uh, if you ask the House Freedom Caucus, they will say, well, just because we don't have as many members, we have been equally, if not more successful because we have been putting issues to the forefront mostly on amendments or provisos, which are basically one-year laws attached to the budget mm -hmm. amendments, um, up on the floor and making uh, our Republican colleagues take tougher votes. Yes. You know, their argument is that Republicans are running in primaries and saying one thing, and then they get into the state house and say another. So both factions believe that they're super, super successful. Uh, both factions think the other is, is not successful. I'm a big believer that we don't see a full impact until 2024. Mm. That's when we have an election. Uh, that's when it'll be clear, I think, to everyone whether the House Freedom Caucus has actually been successful in their messaging um, and, and other activities. And until then, right now, it feels like a lot of noise mm -hmm. um, because most people don't understand House rules and things like that. So, so right now, it's, it's a lot of noise, but really 2024 is where we actually see an actual impact. And we saw a lot of that when we were talking about the, the budget fight too with the diversity, equity, inclusion, DEI bills that they want to try and push through. You're seeing that happen in other states in Florida too, which is having an effect whether negative or positive, depending again, like how you come down on this, this issue. But if you think, you know, professors and teachers leaving the profession is a positive impact, then yes, then that's happening. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out too. But you are seeing bills like critical race theory bills going through the Senate that didn't go through the Senate last year, that did go through the House. So we're going to see uh, how that plays out either this year or next year again to your session. So, but there have been some other bills moving through when it comes to education in terms of school voucher bills, H 3591 would ask voters if they would support eliminating the prohibition against the state or its political subdivisions from providing direct or uh, direct aid, I should say, to religious or other private education institutions. So basically asking the voters whether you would authorize the state to send money to private schools. Uh, that could be on the ballot in 2024 if that bill passes the Senate. Uh, but the, the House also passed a big bill uh, on top of that to approve legislation for voucher schools. That was S39. I think the Senate passed that one, I should say. Uh, so that's in the House right now. So are we going to see this make it across to the governor's desk? I mean, school voucher bills. We saw that voucher bill last session get into a conference committee. That's when both are coming together trying to make it work. But didn't get to the governor's desk. Yeah, I think, I think that voucher bill has a better chance than the other bill asking for a constitutional question. Mm -hmm. One, because the voucher bill has already made it out of the Senate. It's already made it onto the House floor. It's made it, I believe, out of the full education committee, which is always a good sign, again, right before you get into the last kind of home, last stretch of the legislative session. Um, the constitutional amendment question I think would be a little bit of a stretch, mainly mm -hmm. because it's been sitting in Senate Judiciary. It hasn't even come up for a subcommittee hearing. Not that that's like a bad sign for a bill, but again, we're in this last stretch when, while we have four weeks, it's really you know a handful of days and it starts getting squeezed every mm -hmm. single day and the Senate will be on the budget next week, so we have even fewer days. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do think the voucher bill has a chance to get to the governor's uh, desk and he's, he's probably been lobbying for that and has probably been pushing for that uh, uh, for some time. But again, as I mentioned earlier, we're in that weird sort of phase of the legislative session yeah. where the House and Senate kind of like, there's like a meme where everybody's like drawing the, the their guns. Yeah, or like, something yeah, like that. Like, that's where we are right everybody's now. Everybody's <laughs> waiting, like, are you going to pass my bill? Are you not, you're not going to pass my bill? Well, I'm not going to pass your bill. I mean, that's kind of the phase that we're yeah. in. The third Spider-Man is the people of South right, Carolina. That's right. Well, <laughs> no, maybe like, it's more uh, like that, that girlfriend. Oh, guy yeah. Where he's like looking. Yeah, that may be a more applicable meme. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I think some of our uh, listeners will get those references, I hope. <laughs> We're trying to visualize the podcast here. But yeah, Mayan, you're talking about some bills, and I'll ask you some bills maybe you think might move to. But uh, fentanyl has also been a huge issue when it comes to the fentanyl crisis affecting South Carolinians and Americans. I was talking again, Chief Kill today, about I think we had some 1,100 South Carolinians die in 2021 just from fentanyl-based overdoses. So there's been a big push to crack down on trafficking and uh, homicide related to fentanyl, too. So. I have to imagine since a couple of those bills have passed both chambers that we could see that get into the governor's desk in time. I mean, possibly. Um, so I, I think most of those bills are still sitting in, in subcommittee. Each other's they've, respective yes, committees, yes, yeah. Yes, they've passed the chamber. They're just waiting. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure the governor, and I know he's spoken about it, wants to get these bills out the door. Um, obviously, there is a bipartisan sort of push to also get these bills, I think, mm -hmm. out the door since it is a very serious issue. But we, we come back to that weird, you know, jockeying kind of situation where it's yeah. like, who's going who's gonna to make the first move? And so sometimes legislation, as well-intentioned as it is, winds up getting stuck in the process. So. Yeah, I was going to say, in wrapping up there, it's been a whirlwind couple of weeks. It's going to be a whirlwind couple of weeks, too, especially with the budget moving through with the Senate debating that next week. Um, some pay raises in there too, again, but you know, we started the session off talking about abortion because the state Supreme Court overruled the six week abortion ban. Now it's still uh, the old laws on the books with the 20 week abortion ban. There's been no judicial reforms at this point. There's been no abortion law because they're both at a stalemate right now. So we're really kind of in this interesting place. And again, what do you see happening in the next couple of weeks as we wind up this first year of the session? Well, I definitely don't see anything happening on abortion. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I can't imagine them yeah. getting back to the negotiating table and doing what they did in the fall, the same thing right now. Um, I, I do think these more school choice bills, these uh, you know, bond reform, yeah. fentanyl, have probably the greater chance because they are more tangible and right you know, right and people can put purpose. real faces to those issues um and i know that there's another bill out there dealing with the ignition interlock yeah, um and the there DUI was some bill. incredibly emotional testimony that happened um on that bill the other day in the house so uh you know it's it's hard to see i mean i i remember always a couple of years ago when the panthers bill was still an actual thing mm -hmm. and that took up the entire latter half of the session so you never know with the legislature what's going to wind up just, you know, overcoming everything else. Yeah. I was going to ask for a prediction, but there's oh, no... I have no idea. <laughs> there's nothing we can predict right there. I don't right ever there. predict. <laughs> I think we'll leave it right there, though. A lot to watch with 2024 and a lot to watch in the Statehouse, too, in the remaining days. And that's a lot of great information there from Mayan Schechter. She's the politics editor at the State Newspaper. Mayan, thank you so much for being oh, here. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's a lot to throw on one person, so I appreciate that. I was that. really channeling Meg. Did <laughs> yeah. it feel like you know, you're channeling like Meg? You have two people, and I can go back and forth. We can play off each other. But um, we're going to do a Q&A session right now. Amy Crouch has a microphone. So if you guys have any questions about um, what's going on at the State House, 2024, uh, questions about the podcast, I mean, feel free to give a shout, and we'll, uh, we already got one question. We'll try and answer as best as we can. How about the closed primaries? What do you think is going on with that? So that, and, and I'm hopefully getting this correct, that it, it was in a subcommittee hearing mm -hmm. the other day. Um, you know, I, I can remember, this must have been last year when the same issue came up on the House floor as a proviso amendment mm. to the budget. And a number of Republicans voted against it and spoke out against it, saying that it would, it would limit them 
um, because they live in either a super red county yeah. or they live in Richland County, which it's you know very hard sometimes to run as a Republican. You know, I don't think it's going to happen this year. Certainly, maybe next year. You know, one of the things about that I've that I learned from covering 2020 in the legislature at the same time, which I'm sure you did too, is that there's a lot of interconnectedness. <laughs> yeah. And so you'll see a lot of bills that, frankly, you didn't think were ever going to get passed wind up getting... A lot of traction because of the candidate, yeah. these candidates come to town and they start pushing these bills and they start getting attention right. and, and so traction on them. So then it's like, yeah, let's right. they'll be, push they'll, it through. Let's push be, through a, a yeah, close primary. Exactly. Like they'll find lawmakers and link up with them and have them file legislation. We saw that with Kamala Harris. Mm-hmm. We've seen that with the recent ESG bill yeah. um, on the Republican Big. side. Yeah. And so... You know, there's always a chance, but again, I mean, it'll be an interesting debate because I, I remember clearly Republicans being super outspoken about that happening during the budget debate. So uh, if they do wind up passing it, I have a lot of Republicans I'd like to talk to you about that afterward. <laughs> what is the impact of reformulating DHEC on the future of our state? Harvey Peeler wouldn't, I wish we had Senator Harvey Peeler here to talk about DHEC reforms. <laughs> I mean, I think that's that's been something that, that, how much they've talked about this session. I think they've had some hearings on it, but uh, in terms of breaking up DHEC and making, you know, um, some of the more regulatory aspects of it being a standalone agency versus some of the health aspects being its own agency too, um, I haven't really followed that as closely this session because it just doesn't seem like it's popped up as much. Yeah. But that will be something that they'll be pushing because Harvey Peeler has been pushing that bill for a while now and he's over Senate Finance. So of course, there's some clout there too. But I think they're still really studying that issue, I want to say. I know DHEC just got a lot of money to get a new lab and all that stuff. So, you know, it would make sense to have all the health aspects of DHEC and de- Department of Mental Health and all those other ones kind of grouped together and DEOTAS versus, you know, LLR and you know, the nuclear regulatory aspect of our state and part of DHEC, so. And I think there was a lot of attention obviously paid onto it after COVID, which really swamped up DHEC's role and that was their primary focus. And so, you know, there's probably even Democrats too who feel like it needs to be split up. But, you know, again, when you split up huge agencies, you Mm -hmm. have to make a determination on where those leaders are going to be. Are they going to be elected by boards? Are they going Mm -hmm. to be cabinet agencies? And, you know, recently the legislature has been giving away some cabinet positions to the governor, which is always really surprising that the legislature would give any kind of um, power. power. Yeah. So hence the judge debate, right? Right, (laughs) right, right. So, so yeah, I I don't, I don't know what the actual impact. I mean, it's, it's, I I think it's hard for us to say, you Mm -hmm. know, right now what it would be. Oh, this is our former ETV regular on our old show, The Big Picture, Ms. Holly Olbers. Sorry, it's not an econ question. I, w- I want to know about the anti-trans bills. So, let me think what they are. Sitting in Senate yeah. committee? I don't think it made its way out yet of Senate committee. It didn't, yeah. it didn't make crossover. Mm-hmm. So, it, it didn't, yeah, it didn't get out of committee or onto the floor before that, you know, crossover deadline, which basically means that if it doesn't make it out of one chamber before, you know, April, April 10th, 10th in this yeah. situation, it takes a higher threshold of votes to, to come out. Um, yeah, so I think it's still sitting in committee. Um, you know, I think that committee is likely to pass that legislation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a pretty conservative committee, and it's a pretty conservative-run committee. Um, I mean, you know, the the chairman put um, 
Richard Cash in front in, uh, as head of the subcommittee, and that's a pretty good indication of, of sort of how that bill is going to go. Mm -hmm. But you know, it could get super bogged down in the House, which it. I remember when the transgender sports bill continued to get, uh, you know, failed after fail in the House Judiciary Committee before mm -hmm. the former speaker pulled it out and put it in. Special order. Yeah, well, mm -hmm. no, the Education Committee. And then, and then yeah, they, then they took that. it out. Yeah. Um, because then they can also block it in the Senate too, but then right. special order. So I, I think for now, you know, it's not, it's not going to get passed, I don't believe, this year. It, it hasn't made the crossover deadline. But I would say just very much similar to medical marijuana into mm -hmm. the hate crimes bill, that bill hits the floor, automatic names are going on it. Like, mm -hmm. Brad Hutto's probably putting his name on it. Every yeah, Democrat. They're going to block it. Yeah, so it may just sit, um, unless there's something that the Democrats feel very passionate about to lift their names off. And of that's place. when you see the back and forth when it comes to something like hate crimes not moving because there's, they're objecting to something like that, too. So it's those, those standoff moments in the state house where that's why nothing gets done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's good to be a senator. <laughs> in the past few weeks... Uh, North Carolina has passed an extension of the Medicare, um, mm -hmm. and I was wondering what's happening in South Carolina related to that issue. Nothing. I'm, I mean, that's. I mean, as long as there's a Republican in control, I mean, they're not going to expand Medicare, Medicare, or Medicaid. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's just Medicare. Um, it's just not. Anything that, that's what you hear during the Democratic, um, you know, like gubernatorial campaigns. You always hear about that. They always push for that. I'm gonna get there. I'm gonna sign this bill into law. But North I mean, Carolina is on a different different yeah, page than we are. They they do. You know, the the interesting thing about it, and I don't have numbers off the top of my head, but I used to cover the budget, mm -hmm. and they do spend a lot of money on what is essentially like Medicaid expansion, mm -hmm. um, because healthcare costs continue to rise, and so they do put a lot of money toward it, but they don't call it, you know. Medicaid expansion. We've not seen any bill that's yeah. moved anywhere. We've obviously heard Democrats think talk about it, but it just hasn't moved. Yeah, it's been a big issue, but we're not North Carolina. We're not Georgia. We're South Carolina. <laughs> I mean, we saw that. <laughs> there you go. Well, I mean, I think we saw that. I mean, that's something that was interesting during the 2022 election. What year is it, right? I mean, when you look back to you know, the governor's race, right? Like we were, everyone's always talking like, oh my gosh, is Joe Cunningham gonna make a difference? Is he gonna get close? I'm like, what we're watching for is how close is he gonna get, right? Because it's, obviously it's not gonna be like Vince Shaheen when he got within four points of Nikki Haley that first time around. And that margin has only grown bigger and bigger. And for Joe Cunningham to lose by what, 17, 18 points? I mean, yeah. that was, I think, a testament to how people feel about some of those issues. So it, it's a long way away from something like that happening. Yesterday, I think the Senate Education Committee was looking at the Transparency and Integrity CRT. in Education yeah. Act. School voucher bill. Um, no, CRT. No, not the voucher. Okay. Uh, CRT and, bill? And so, yeah, some people consider that to be a censorship bill. Uh, could you tell us what the status of that is? Well, it was, it was passed out of full committee yesterday. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it'll hit the floor within these next few weeks. Again, the Senate is on the budget next week, so they're not doing really mm. anything else unless they sneak something in. So then that leaves them really with about, what, two, three yeah. weeks. You know, we didn't see, see, Senate didn't have an appetite, if I remember last, last year, year, to dealing with CRT. So it is very interesting. And I'll, I'll be honest, I, I, I did not see what changes the Senate made to that bill. I know they amended it. Um, and I know that there's some discussion there's some 
disagreement on it, but one way I've seen is that they kind of took out some of the more maybe controversial measures. But again, I haven't looked at it, so I can't attest that. I feel like we're just gearing up for a 2024 to remember. <laughs> I mean, like everything's going to get pushed, and then it's going to be this big pressure cooker to get some of these big issues going through because all eyes will be on South Carolina. They're going to say, you're not Republican enough because you're not doing these bills like CRT, like DEI, like ESG, and then... Yeah. I can and, see that push. And, you know, lawmakers like to use some of these bills for the re-election. So, exactly. you know, what, what's m more at the top of mind of voters? Do you pass a bill now and then nobody remembers, you know, five months from now? Mm -hmm. Or do you pass it right at that? When the know, House and the Senate point? are up for re-election. Mm -hmm. So it could come up on the floor. I, just, it's hard to say. Again, somebody's going to put their name on it is mm -hmm. the likelihood of it. I actually have a question. Yes, ma'am. Um, I found this interesting because you told me today. Y'all were talking about um, the Winter poll and also there was a national poll that came out. Mm -hmm. Can you explain why, what the difference is yeah. right now? So when we talk about, you know, where everyone's talking about polling, polling, we always love to talk about polls because it's the only way we can, in a concrete way, see what's going on with the race without us just speculating based on what we think is going to win. Um, but I think when we look at national polls, everyone's like, wow, look at these national polls. But... National polls aren't really relative to what's going on when it comes to a primary, a presidential primary. Like, you want to look at what's going on in Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina, like the Winthrop poll that just came out. That gives you the best idea about who is really doing the best in what state. Because once you start winning those states and the momentum starts building, I mean, that's how things happen during the primary. So the national polls are more what you would focus on closer towards the general election versus the primary. So keep an eye out for those. I, I have a question for Mayan. Uh -oh. This has been quite a controversy on the podcast. We've had a lot of calls about it, Mayan. And I really want to know, do you think a hot dog is a sandwich? I feel like we had this conversation a year ago. Uh, it's, it's, it's got legs, and I can't explain why. So Mayan, and give your reasoning. <laughs> I feel like whatever answer I give, you're gonna it's disagree a, with it. Here's an answer: you It's guys, not a sandwich. Right? You, so. guys, you guys had hot dogs earlier, so you've yeah. already clearly. I think it's your a opinion. sandwich. Yeah, I. But you don't think so? I mean, it's definitely sandwich-like. <laughs> it's like a sandwich. If you cut it, lay it flat on bread, then it can be a sandwich. Right. And that, that sounds... bun, in cylindrical form, is not a sandwich. Is it tube meat? No. <laughs> tube meat? No. Well, as you can tell, that's uh the intense that's conversations what, that we have here on the lead that's, podcast. That's it. Hold brown on, hold liquor. on. Brown liquor. Hold, wait, Are you playing me out? Brown liquor. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I Marlon Gibson won't be there much longer in the state. Very center. sad. Brown liquor. Brown liquor. <laughs> Is that our wind down section? That's it. All right. That's it. Do I need to do an outro? Do it. Say thank you, Mayan. Thank you, Mayan. Oh, thank you, Gavin. <laughs> Everybody. <laughs> thank you all. <laughs> thank you, guys. <laughs> Wasn't that fun? Well, I just want to thank everybody who came out to Kite Hill Brewing. Of course, I want to thank Kite Hill Brewing for hosting us. I want to thank Mayan for traveling all the way up to Clemson to talk with us. And of course, the ETB Endowment. Now, thanks for listening to the pod, y'all. Show us your appreciation by leaving us a review or a voicemail at 803-563-7169. Stay up with the latest on SCETV.org and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. Also, don't forget to support your local newspapers. For the South Carolina lead, I'm not Gavin Jackson. I'm A.T. Shire. But anyway, be well, South Carolina. I know what it is. Uh, you're on, brother. <laughs> <laughs>